first ever Sin Essential podcast. My name is John Gilpatrick. I'm one of the editors at thesinessential.com, and joining me on the line is our editor-in-chief, Aaron Pinkston. Aaron, how are you? I'm doing good. <laughs> Did you just drop something? <laughs> no, I like, I, I like leaned into the mic and I bumped my computer, which kind of bumped into my table. Well, you're it's excited. Good. That's good. <laughs> I, I got shot in the head. And, and <laughs> Was that the elevator door closing on it over and over and over again? Yeah. Good. Um, also on the line is another editor, Sarah Gore. Sarah, how are you? I'm pretty good. I don't support uh, the murder of our fellow editor, so. Neither do I. So I just want that on the record, on the call. Basically, basically because it's a lot more work for you and I. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if you couldn't guess from our uh, our sort of joking up front, we are going to be talking about um, our essential of the week this week, which is The Departed, Martin Scorsese's 2006 remake of uh, Infernal Affairs. It's the movie that won him his first Best Director Oscar. It is the 10-year anniversary of this movie this week, um, which is pretty exciting. Do either of you have any... Um, I mean, did you see this when it came out in theaters? Is it something that you revisit a lot? Um, you know, if you, uh, listeners, if you've uh, seen the site this week, you might have read my piece about the first time I saw this movie, which is sort of crazy because it was just a few days after I was in a pretty serious accident. And, um, you know, it was sort of a tough time for me and, and provided a, a really nice and well-needed pick-me-up because I really enjoyed it a lot. And um, even the fact that I had to watch about a third of it on an upside-down movie screen uh, didn't uh, take away from the experience. <laughs> it was uh, it was really fun. And, um, and I was just wondering about you guys. Like, is this a movie that you hold in really high regard like me or something that, you know, is maybe mid-tier Scorsese? Uh, the last time I saw this movie, uh, it was 2006 and it had just come out opening weekend. So okay. I was 19. Okay. Um, yeah, I literally have never seen it since. So it was kind of funny. I was talking to my now husband. He's like, oh yeah, I think when you rewatch it, you know, you're going to be surprised how much you like it. It's a lot of fun. And in my mind at 19, I was like, I don't remember this movie being like fun. <laughs> I remember a lot of blood. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing that I think most people probably walk away from is just like utter shock at the body count. Um, but there's Yeah, a... no. Yeah, when I re- uh, no, yeah, when I rewatched, I was like, yeah, that is probably the number one word I would use. I was like, that was that was a two and a half hours flew by. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, Aaron, what do you think? Uh, actually similar to Sarah, I hadn't seen it uh, again since it came out, though I didn't see it in theaters. Um, at the time, even though I was a, a film student in college, I, I rarely ever went to the movies, which is a lot. I, I mean, I guess I watch <laughs> I watch a lot of other movies, but I can count the number of times I went to see a new movie in theaters while I was in college. I think on one hand, wow, I could probably actually name all all of them to you, and, and <laughs> most of them are really bad horror movie sequels. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, The Ring 2 and Saw 2. Yeah, how Saw many Saw sequels came out while you were in college? And that would decide well, probably four, year. right? I mean, <laughs> probably. It's one a year. Uh, so I, I saw this on... I rented it on DVD while I was in... I was either a junior or a senior in, in college at that point. I think it might have been 2007. So it, it was a little while after. I think it might have been after the Oscars, too. I don't exactly remember. But watched it on my tiny little computer monitor... Uh, on DVD in, in college and, and hadn't seen it since. Um, and really, it hasn't been a movie that I've thought about uh, at all. 
the, one of the main questions I, I talked about in my opening statement for the film was how strangely it seems that people really like this movie, but nobody really ever talks about it anymore. Um, I mean, I was shocked. I I looked at the IMDb page and it's like number like 45 or something on the top 250 films. But like, who really considers this one of Scorsese's best movies? My hand is raised. You can't see it, but. (laughs) Okay. All right. I mean, obviously people are out there, but. Uh, I think it's. I just, good... I just point at the at Reddit dot com and say all the people that think Leo needed an Oscar ten years ago. Yeah, I think I think all of them think it's one of the best movies. I, I would say know. that as far as the Leo needs an Oscar movement goes, um, it might have started here. I think it did. I'm pretty yeah. sure it did. I think this well, might have been the movie. I don't that... think they were all rooting for uh, what's eating Gilbert Grape and stuff. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think this was like you know he had done. Before this movie, he'd done two others with uh, Scorsese, uh, Gangs of New York, and then The Aviator. And, of course, he was nominated for The Aviator and lost out to, I think, uh, Jamie Foxx for Ray that year. And then... Yes, um, I think that's right. So I think The Aviator was probably his first, like, oh, yeah, he's, like, actually a pretty good actor. And then The Departed comes along and it's just like, oh, wow, like, I really need to pay more attention to this guy now. And uh, and he's pretty damn good. And, And I think the fact that... He, he did get nominated in 2006, but it was for Blood Diamond instead of The AV, uh, excuse me, instead of The Departed, is uh, sort of a little preposterous in my mind. Uh, Aaron, I know you were looking at The Departed in the context of the Oscars in 2006. Can you tell us a little bit yeah. about all that? Well, I agree with you. I think in hindsight, if I'm of the opinion that nobody really talks about The Departed anymore, and maybe I'm alone in that. Uh, certainly no one talks about Blood Diamond anymore. No. <laughs> and I, I think the only people who do are people who who want to mention Leo's terrible South African accent. Yeah. In that movie. So, I, I mean, I recently watched Blood Diamond for the first time when writing the, the piece on the Oscars. And I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just, it's just kind of a boring movie. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's big and kind of glossy and very, kind of a Hollywood in Africa movie. Yeah. And I can see why it got attention from the Academy at the time, but it's just not really interesting. But in terms of the Oscars, it's kind of a strange year. A lot of the movies that were, that received a lot of nominations were either things like Blood Diamond or I think uh, Letters from Iwo Jima got a, a fair number of, of nominations, and, and that movie's okay, too. It's it's not one that, that I would consider worthy of a lot of the, the praise it got at the time from the Academy. Uh, the Departed received five nominations and won four of them, uh, which is it's sort of strange because now the big winners usually at the Oscars get, like, eight, nine, ten recommend, uh, nominations. Sure, yeah. So it didn't really get a lot of noms, but but it won almost all of them that it did. The only one it didn't win was Mark Wahlberg's supporting, uh, supporting uh, actor nomination, but it won editing, it won screenplay, it won director and, and best picture, of course. Yeah. Um, and it, the, not, the other nominees that it was up against with for best picture, even though I might not be the biggest fan of this movie, I mean, I do enjoy it. But compared to what it was nominated to, it's really, I think there's no question that it should have won. Um, but then you look at other films that were nominated a lot in that year, like Pan's Labyrinth, 
uh, right. City of Men, United 93. Uh, those are all, I think, better movies, but they didn't get that Best Picture nomination for some reason, even though they did get Oscar nominations and in some cases wins in other categories. So it was kind of a weird year. Like there was a lot of kind of bad movies that were very Oscar-y and did get the nominations. Uh, one other one that was interesting from that year was Little Miss Sunshine, right? Uh, which I rewatched again. And, I, you know, I kind of like that movie, but did it really need a Best Picture nomination? No. <laughs> and, and, I think, <laughs> yeah. it, and I think that's, I think like history has kind of shown that that was sort of a weird, weird pick for the Academy that year. But in any case. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think it was a pretty weird year. And if, you know, I took a back, a uh, took a look back at 2006 as just sort of a general year in movies. And you had um, some things that I really liked a lot, like all, you know, I don't want to say all time favorites, but certainly like favorite movies of me of, you know, the 21st century. And, some of the ones you mentioned, you know, 93, Pan's Labyrinth, Children of Men. Um, but then you had the five nominated for Best Picture, and they were uh, The Departed, obviously, Babel, the uh, Inuritu film, um, yeah. Little Miss Sunshine, The Queen, which was the Stephen Frears movie with Helen Mirren, and mm-hmm. then Letters from Iwo Jima, the Eastwood movie. And I feel like all of those, to a certain extent, are sort of products of the mid-2000s. Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't think time has been kind to probably any of them. Maybe The Departed is the exception. Um, and uh, I think that, you know, they're sort of lucky that it was The Departed, but there was a lot of question back then. I, it was one of the first years I remember really kind of following the Oscars closely. Um, everyone knew Scorsese was going to win Best Director, but there was a lot of question as to whether it was going to be um, The Departed or Babel or Little Miss Sunshine for Best Picture because Babel had won the Golden Globe and then Little Miss Sunshine was kind of coming on strong. It had a really fun, like, I guess, pre-viral, viral marketing campaign with, like, driving the bus around the city of Los Angeles, or the VW, rather. And uh, then, obviously, The Departed had had Scorsese going for it, but I think there was a lot of people who thought, like, oh, well... If DiCaprio didn't get in and, and some of these other things didn't get nominated, like, why should we take this too seriously as a Best Picture winner? So mm-hmm. um, so I, I remember not being sure how it was going to pan out, but um, but The Departed was probably, for history's sake, the best choice. Yeah, well, Babel definitely seems like the kind of movie that would have won. I mean, it it's sort of similar in to Crash, which had won just a few years before yes, that, right. you know, in, in the, the way before, that it's yeah. structured and the way it that the narrative works. Year before Crash yeah, yeah. <laughs> before. Uh, and yeah, I mean, now that that's really the movie that people point to where it's like, this is where Inuri 2 has really gained his reputation. And mm. I, I guess some people think he's maybe turned it around since with his last two movies, but, Duh. uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then beautiful, I mean, his movie after that, nobody really even paid attention to. Uh, I rewatched Babel again for this, and there are things about it I like, but it really is just... I mean, it's all just, Yeah, it's just... <laughs> God bless you. It tries you. <laughs> to make too many connections, and, and it is just too, like, too much of the misery. I mean, there's no other redeeming thing to it at all, which I guess is a statement you can make, but it's just not, it doesn't work. Like, while you guys were talking, I had to pull up what else was even nominated. Because I was like, was that... I don't think it was Brokeback Mountain. Because, like, apparently the year before was the yeah, first that time was crash. I was actually mm-hmm. paying attention to the Oscars. Because I was like, I'd seen everything the year. It was like Brokeback Mountain, Crash, whatever. 
all of that stuff. So I was like super invested in like every category. I was like, I've seen all of these, blah, blah. blah. And then I'm looking at this year where I also saw almost everything. And I was like, wow, boring. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of movies that I didn't like a lot. And it was like, yeah, The the Departed was the only thing I remember seeing and being like, well, yeah, that should win because it's the only thing that I think was any good. Yeah, like, I, I say, liked Little Miss Sunshine, but even then, I still didn't think like Best Picture. Like right. I don't know, yeah. it seemed I, weird. I will say I watched Little Children for the first time. Uh, oh, that's just a good in the movie. past couple weeks, and that movie is just great. Yeah, yeah. I love that come movie. back, Todd Field. Come back, we need you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but do you, so? Do you want to jump into the movie now? Yeah, let's do that. Um, I guess we should say there's going to be spoilers, so. Yeah, a few. I mean, Hero <laughs> technically had spoilers in it, so <laughs> yeah, that's a good but point. We're, we're gonna. I mean, we're gonna. Sorry, we're gonna dive. We're gonna dive right into it. So, if you haven't seen The Departed, like I don't know, you probably have if you're listening to this anyway. So, whatever. Yeah, if it's got a number forty-five on IMDb, I think that most people listening to this probably have seen it. Um, uh, Sorry to interrupt you. I just got a text message. Uh, I think we have a rat on the podcast. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. (laughs) What do we do? Uh, I don't know. Everyone give me your social security numbers now. (laughs) Let me me reply to this text, though. I I need to do it inconspicuously. Is it a red phone or a blue phone? (laughs) <laughs> it's uh if it's, it's a, blue then it's fine it's chill you can do it's, it it's the flip phone that i had from high school. <laughs> i love the flip phones in this movie it's wonderful um Hold on, i gotta text you guys a dollar sign on my motorola razor got it nailed it um anyway <laughs> um kick us off john so uh <laughs> So we're going to run through the movie sort of chronologically and, and pause at some of our favorite moments. But um, I, I kept track of the uh, of how long the prologue is before we get the title card. 1833. Yeah. Really, really? long. Yeah. Yeah, I noticed. It definitely uh, seemed like, remember when the title card came up and I, for a second, I was like, didn't, they already, didn't that already happen? But at the same time, I was also like, oh, the movie's been playing for like five minutes. It's fine. Now, 1833 it's, it's super just, long it's it's kind of so wild and no well it's it's weird too because they have like a pre-prologue prologue yeah, yeah well that's the really weird part so the film opens with this like archival footage of what appears to be maybe boston during the civil rights era and um frank costello is narrating he's uh played obviously by jack nicholson and he's telling us about how irishmen don't want to be given something they go out and take it and um, he, that he doesn't want to be a product of his environment. He wants his environment to be a product of him. Um, that's kind of, I think, one of the two main theses of the film. Yeah. Um, so I'll say I've, I've watched this movie twice in the last two weeks. The, when I just rewatched it this morning, I totally forgot that this, <laughs> how this movie opened. I know, it's I, really I just, strange. Yeah. It's I, like, I, just, I just sort of thought it started with Nicholson walking into the bar and, and being yeah. like, the young uh, uh, Sullivan, but uh, nope. There's this uh, this very strange sort of montage with the opening narration and and, and uh, I, quickly setting up uh, uh, Nicholson as uh, her, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Costello is is basically just a terrible, awful person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sarah, go ahead. Um, yeah, I don't know if this is too early to dig into it, but I I like thought about that. <sighs> For a while, because I that is not only weird in terms of like 
you know, 20 minutes, almost 20 minutes into a movie is pretty late in the game to do a title card and then also to have this weird intro before an intro. Uh, kind of like you brought, Scorsese, like you brought up race, like right off the bat. I know. In this movie, that to then have one black guy who says and about three sentences. Whose last name and is Brown. And apparently the racial lines are so strong. There are no black people in Boston. If there's an Irishman around because you just, they, they don't exist. They're not in the background. They don't go to clubs. They don't drive cars. Like, yeah, it's I was such like a why weird... did you introduce this at all? This is weird. I feel like it, there's yeah. just like no payoff to that, like at all. And it's really strange. Um, besides, I mean, the film doesn't need to make him a worse person. Like we get this from the first proper scene. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So yeah. to have that extra stuff at the beginning kind of feels odd to me, and especially for a two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour movie, like, maybe you could have weaved that one quote in elsewhere. But, so let's let's go to the convenience store, because Frank is coming in to collect some money. We have the shopkeeper there with his daughter, Carmen. Uh, Frank buys some Hull's cough drops, which I didn't notice until this time around when I was watching really closely, and he has the daughter come over and whisper something in his, her ear, um... He asks her if she's had her period yet, which is probably the creepiest thing I've ever Creep. seen. No, girls love that. Yeah. <laughs> girls love that. Yeah, you should, guys should write that down. Ladies love it. Especially in front of their father. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're, like, 15. It's really yeah. cute. Um, so, uh, little Colin Sullivan is, is looking on, um, I, one of the things I, I noted that I really liked about the scene was that Frank's face is in shadow for the entire oh, time. That. Yeah. And really kind of almost the entire prologue until we get this other big, uh, you know, for, mm-hmm. sort of famous quote. Um, right. <clears throat> one question I have. So this girl, Carmen, I've always wondered this and I didn't look it up because I wanted to talk to you guys about it first. Is she his girlfriend later in the movie? Oh, that's an interesting question. I had the same thought, and I was still just like, I don't know. Because I, I also immediately forget her name. And then I don't know if Frank ever calls his girlfriend a name. I don't think he does, yeah. yeah. No, I, I would be a little disappointed that, that if that were the case, it would drop the number of female characters in this movie from three to two. <laughs> <laughs> You're being generous with the word characters. Oh, yeah, I forgot, yeah. I forgot that, uh, yeah, we don't exist either. Uh, <laughs> I don't understand how all these like men are coming around if there's no moms. Having yes, that's a good point. Well, when I they call like... their mom, they're actually calling their mom boss. Exactly, right. exactly. I'll be I'll be late for supper. Um, but uh, so Colin is there. That accent and... was better than most of the movie. By the way, uh, well, don't give me credit. <laughs> yeah, we've got a long way to go. We're in the first scene. <laughs> um, but Colin, uh, uh, Frank gives him some money. Um, he gives him some bread and bologna and, uh, tells him that if he wants to make a little bit of extra money, he can, uh, come down to his place, which he does. They, uh, I think quote James Joyce. And then, um, he's basically in with, uh, Frank Costello for the rest of his life. So this is the point where we get the other, I think, really famous quote of this prologue and probably the film. We can be cops or criminals, but when you're facing a loaded gun, what's the difference? That's when he comes into the light and uh, the tango starts, which I really love. Yeah, I really. I, that was one of the few notes that I did end up jotting down was how much I liked that moment. 
just sort of like the transition from that quote, which I think really is kind of the the main thrust of the film, um, to the music, which is the tango, which is sort of perfect. And then we get literally just scene after scene throughout the rest of this movie of from Colin to Billy Costigan, Colin to Billy Costigan, and sort of just the mirrors and the similarities and the differences between the two guys and the situations they're in. And it's kind of like just what makes this movie for me really special. So we've got uh, Matt Damon, obviously, is playing adult Colin Sullivan, and uh, Leonardo DiCaprio plays adult, well, I guess the only Billy Costigan we ever see. Mm-hmm. But uh, after they graduate from the uh, police academy, they're state troopers, and uh, and Sullivan gets promoted to special investigations unit. DiCaprio becomes an undercover. I think. Well, the- I, I'll say I, I love that in our introduction to the adult uh, Sullivan, we get to really know his character because he, he starts <laughs> making homophobic slurs. Yes, he like does. over and over again. So, <laughs> yeah. Another another part of this movie that is maybe a little. That 10 years we've really grown <laughs> in terms of how we speak to people or how we think about people using uh, the word faggot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lots of homo drops also. Um, not, yeah, not, no, I mean, not a great look, obviously, but, um, you know, uh, this is setting the scene for how some of these characters behave. And um, they're playing, I think they're playing rugby, right? It's like the cops versus yeah. the firemen. The firemen, yeah. That um, would really bad at soccer. so i i sort of wonder what you guys think about this like do you do you feel like that the sort of them going through the academy we meet their friends so uh costigan is friends with uh with a guy who i'm only going to refer to as brown unfortunately because that's all we know about him anthony anderson Anderson, yeah it's actually really good oh my god they named the one fucking black guy brown (laughs) i know like Oh, we got it, dude, because of his face. Like, <laughs> oh, um, movie. Yeah, not good. Um, but Aww. I, I do, I really like actually Anthony Anderson in the three scenes that he's in, and I think that generally speaking, he is a guy who makes every movie he's in, every TV show he's in, a lot better because he's just super charismatic. He's like almost up there with the Rock as far as like just charismatic, fun to have around kind of guy. I mean, I think it was definitely kind of intentional, his casting. So first it seems kind of weird, but then I think I think the movie is trying to let you know by casting him that you should feel at ease around him. Like, that, uh-huh. like, you should feel okay. Like, he shouldn't put you on edge the way that, like, Matt Damon and Mark Wahlberg even just, like, constantly do. We were like, oh, my God, stop yelling at everyone. <laughs> you make me nervous. <laughs> um it's in this these scenes that we also learn that uh, Sullivan is friends with a guy whose last name is Barrigan, and he's played by uh, James Badge Dale, um, yep. who is uh, another really good, I think, kind of underrated actor who sort of just pops up from scene to scene in, in this movie and a lot of others. Um, he was also, I remember him on, uh, he had an extended run on 24, season three. Okay. He was also in the Pacific and... He was somebody HBO that I series. recognized. Uh, he's been in a lot of things. I think he was the, one of the villains in Iron Man three. He was. Yes, I'm I looking at the right. page right now. Yeah, <laughs> he had a really he good had a cameo. Short-lived DNC show, which in, I watched like two episodes oh, of. What show was that? Rubicon. Oh, he was okay. like a sort of eccentric, like uh, geniusy kind of. I can't remember if he was a. Uh, he was like an investigative journalist or a cop or something. I can't 
quite remember. I only watched a few episodes of it, and it was what, five years ago at this point. He's a good actor, um, like uh, Anthony Anderson. Not a ton to do here, but will play an important role later. Um, generally speaking, kind of these this the transition from these guys are in the academy to these guys are you know uh, hotshot trooper versus an undercover cop. Like, do you think that there's an there's uh, enough here? Do you think it was cut down? Do you think that everything's kind of well explained and we get enough um, to establish the scenes? Or, I, yeah, I kind of wondered that this time around is like we're really kind of breezing through like large chunks of these guys' lives and and uh, that I think are probably really important. But there's only so much you can do. <laughs> yeah, I think it's I think it was fine. I mean. There's, I mean, they they really have an exposition dump with when uh, Costigan meets oh, yeah. with uh, with his uh, uh, his superiors right. um, to kind of really let you know what's going on, uh, and I I mean I think that's enough. It, it's complicated enough that that really helps um, when keeping this sort of montage running through the ranks montage kind of quick and fun. It is. They do make it, like, really fun. I think I noted that um, when... uh, So we have uh, Mark Wahlberg, he's playing Staff Sergeant Dignam, and then Martin Sheen is playing Captain Queenan, um, and they are the ones sort of uh, asking... Costigan if he will go undercover because of his past. Um, the, uh, we find out that um, Billy Costigan's mother had just died um, at the funeral. They utter the line, The Departed, which is, uh, at this point in the movie, the third time we heard those words. Yeah, and then I don't think we ever hear it again. <laughs> no, we do. We hear it one more time. Oh, we do. Okay. Yeah, Th- yeah. I will say that some of those cut, the, the one thing that the, the movie does interestingly with its editing and a lot of a lot of the film are having these really quick kind of cut-in scenes that kind yeah. of take us to another place. If, uh, you know, something might be mentioned, and then it kind of cuts to this thing. Um, I, that was kind of, I guess, in this montage, the one piece that it didn't quite know where things fit in. Like, is this a flashback? Like, did this oh, happen? Same did this happen before he became a cop? Like, when he was with his mother and then confronts his uncle, who's a douchebag. <laughs> yes. um, like I, I just is this happening now like did this just happen did it happen you know years ago that that was kind of that was a little confusing um so so in in that kind of quickness i guess that's lost a little bit um somewhere along the line here we also get introduced to uh alec baldwin's uh captain ellerby he i know is, you're a big fan of this i so. am a big fan of this um but i just wanted to pause here and say like we've met now uh, all the primary characters, with the exception of one, um, all of the men in the movie are introduced in this prologue. And kind of what do you think about the cast, generally speaking? Are there any, I mean, obviously we'll talk more about the performances later, but anybody who you're particularly excited about to talk about, Sarah? Um, actually, I was kind of excited to see another Matt Damon movie because I was just you know, I was just traveling and on the airplane they had the talented Mr. Ripley, which I'd never seen before. So I was like, I'm on a plane. Like, I'm finally, like, forced to sit down and, like, just put something on. Like, I'll finally watch this movie. And then was shocked because I loved it. Like, I was like, this movie's awesome. Like, so good. Yeah, that movie's <laughs> this is awesome. fantastic Matt Damon. <laughs> and then to see, like, that early part and then this kind of mid part within 
like having seen some of his stuff in recent years, like I haven't seen the Martian yet, but I've seen some of his other stuff from the last couple of years. Um, kind of, I just was like on a little Matt Damon journey. It was fun. Yeah, that is fun. Um, I, I, think I was like, that, oh, this is why you're yeah. a movie star. I forgot. Yeah, yeah. He really is, I think, a movie star in this movie. And um, <laughs> we'll talk about it a little bit more later. But on this last watch that, that I did in preparation for the podcast, it was sort of like one of the big things that I rediscovered was that, like, wow, Matt Damon is super underrated in this movie. So we finally get the title card, as I alluded to earlier, and uh, the first uh, Dropkick Murphys cue, which is uh, really fun. Uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah that'll be stuck in your head for a year after i know i have watched this movie twice in the past two weeks um so one of the guys we now have in jail getting ready to go undercover and the other is living large in the shadow of beacon hill this um, is a great this is a really good montage and it's oh, really yeah. well made you have this sort of um extended uh tracking shot to the right and it cuts you know each time it cuts back to another scene the, the tracking shot keeps going uh, in the other scene. It, it's it's really a nice, like, there's a lot of really visual flourish in this movie. Which oh, yeah. I kind of, the first time I rewatched this, I didn't quite catch all that. But then rewatching it again, you really see Scorsese's doing a lot with his camera. Agreed. Um, so, uh, Billy is now out of jail, uh, not exactly sure how long that went, but, um, he's visiting his, uh, drug dealing cousin, Aunt Kathy answers the door, (laughs) and this is like the Gone Baby Gone segment of the movie with sort of these wild Boston characters who, uh, don't totally fit in with the movie stars around them, but I still sort of love it. She's puffing a cigarette in her nightgown hooked up to an oxygen tank. (laughs) Southie. And then, yes. Uh, Kevin Kevin Corrigan is uh, reprising his uh, role as somebody's uh, piece of shit cousin, which I feel like <laughs> he gets done many times and just always with a plum. Yeah, yeah, really good. Nice I, I, I just love like how little respect everyone in this movie has for him, <laughs> <laughs> and it sort of kind of made me wonder like how he was able to get Billy in with like the king of the Boston mafia if he's such just like a stupid dirtball. <laughs> <laughs> but um you know I, I questions that you shouldn't ask but um we have this great scene at the bar now where billy orders a cranberry juice and some schmuck oh, tells yeah. him it's a diuretic and asks him if he's on his period billy smashes the glass over his head then french comes in and yells at him and asks him if he's on his period also yeah, this, this, and he has a great quote he, he says of uh, the guy he attacked he says he's not quite a guy you can't hit but almost a guy you can't hit Right. And then he, he just, like, beats the shit out of him after that. <laughs> so that's what I'm talking about. French French is my guy. I'm not French. Is French. Great. No, no, no. I love French, too. Ray Winstone. He's fantastic. I do um, think I, I should hop into the movie and open up some sort of a clinic to inform people how periods work, because it seems like they're really confused. <laughs> Everyone's a little bit confused about that, yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't want. know if you guys... I, I'm going <laughs> to... This might be a bit of a tangent. I don't think we have to really talk about this a lot, but uh, I think it probably came just before this. The first time we see Damon in the police station um, as now a, a hotshot detective, state detective, uh, there's this, there's a shot where you see a poster. Damon's kind of standing on the left side of the, of the frame, and you see a poster right in the smack dab center uh, that has this Asian woman on it that says... Uh, says Liza did Liza did it and I'm it, it's like obviously like 
it's obviously like it's something because of the way it's framed. So I, I looked this up okay. and it is this weird kind of and, and there's this this very long article. I haven't read much of it, but this very strange kind of conspiracy, um, the mystery of Eliza Lamb. And there's apparently like there's like evidence of a cover up of her murder and it's turned into this ghost story. Which, do you know, so she was apparently murdered in a hotel in Los Angeles, the uh, Hotel Cecil. Oh, this thing. And. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know anything about it, but there's this mysterious death. And then apparently this Cecil is now haunted. There's like black water that comes out of the faucets. Oh, gosh. And do you know the movie Dark Water with Jennifer Connelly? Yes. This is apparently a this case is apparently inspiration for that movie or something. So I don't know what the hell this has to say or like what Scorsese is doing with this, but I don't know. It's weird. If you, if you search Liza did it on Google, it's like the second thing. The first thing that comes up is like a departed like forum. And like the second thing that comes up is this very long, like web page from like, I don't know, like the late nineties or something. Oh no, I guess it's from 2015. Never mind. Um, called waking up, like in, called waking up in America: How to Fight Tyranny, which is like, oh. makes sense. I don't know why it's called that, but then it's this this mystery of Eliza Lamb. I don't know, ghostly conspiracy, cyber haunting? Question mark. Anyway, I just wanted to bring that out because that was very strange and something I noticed and had to look up. And it seems like this weird rabbit hole that I don't know where it goes, but. Scorsese's obviously wanting to tell us something, wow, or maybe he's just I, having a laugh. I don't know. I never noticed that, and I'm, I'm really, I'm probably not going to rewatch the movie right now to do that because <laughs> I just watched it twice. But um, if you, um, if you, I mean, you can Google it, um, and I think you can see like the poster on yeah, sure, and in, in the Google image search, if you like the did it poster, you can, you can see it. That's super interesting. Um, okay, yeah, cool. Really Thanks for weird. catching that. What's that, Sarah? So that's really weird. And I yeah, just, it is really weird. I can't so see you had what heard of possibly have to do with this movie. You've heard of this, Sarah? You've heard of this case? Oh, yeah. No, I heard about it years ago because yeah. it's... This is a huge rabbit hole podcast. It, the two people that are listening to this probably. <laughs> <laughs> hi, <But> hi, mom. <laughs> if, if you want to get into the weird, weird shit on the internet, then you're probably already aware of it. But it's like this whole thing with like her body turned up in the like water tower on top of a building, and nobody is really sure how she got in there. Yeah. And it's like, it's bizarre, but like I, it came up again because I've been listening to uh, the podcast Tannis, which makes reference to it, and I was like, I completely forgot about that, and I got creeped out all over again. But also, that whole thing happens in California, so I have no idea why it could be of any right. relevance in some Boston police department. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I don't know what's up with that, so we should probably move on, but... So, I, had, I had to bring that. I'm glad you mentioned it because I didn't know anything about that. But um, Vera Farmiga is here. Oh, uh, yeah, she, she is, is going to be our uh, sort of <laughs> only female character of note besides Aunt Kathy. Hi, guys. I'm Vera. Uh, I'm a woman. <laughs> and, All right. Uh, thanks. Bye. That was her goal. <laughs> 
She plays Madeline, and she is a, um, I think, a psychologist for um, for the or state. The, the state, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, she... she is not a very good one. No, no. <laughs> She's fired. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, it's weird because they bring up Damon, like, or um, Sullivan, like, says to her, like, you have all these hotshot degrees. Like, why do you work for the government? It's yeah. like she wears a Harvard sweatshirt at some point, which maybe mm-hmm. may- means that she went to Harvard. But it's like, she's not good at this. <laughs> no. no. We'll get into all that for sure. Okay. But um, Matt Damon is definitely a shitty guy to be on an elevator with uh, when he's trying to pick her up. And he's <laughs> oh, I love this scene. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty funny. So, I mean, I'm glad they, they do. The, he's talking to her, trying to pick her up, and like holds the, the door open for like a minute. And I'm glad that they, they actually they actually acknowledge it in in the movie. Otherwise it would just be pure, like unintentional comedy. But these people all in the, in the elevator, just sitting in the back, just standing there like, like they don't, I mean, they don't like look mad at all, which of course you would be like, come on, dude. (laughs) But yeah. uh, But I love, um, after, after she, you know, gives him his card and he gets back on the elevator and the door closes, he sort of like looks back for reassurance (laughs) from somebody like, that was pretty good. Right. You like that? Which is great, like a little Matt Damon moment. Um, so yeah, so now we start to get just like sort of a bunch of cross-cutting uh, Costigan Sullivan scenes um, about you know one of them is uh, having a pretty nice life and the other is having a really kind of shitty one. And um, DiCaprio, or sorry, Costigan uh, beats the shit out of some guys from Providence in a convenience store, and he breaks his hand. And then uh, Sullivan goes out to a really fancy French restaurant with Madeline, his his girl, and he's upset that they don't have duck all the <laughs> So stupid. Uh, and then they have this like really weird, uh, gigantic sort of tower of chocolate cake. Did you notice this too? Oh yeah. Oh, how really could you not? Pretty good. Like, look delicious. <laughs> <laughs> it looked uh, very 2006, is what yeah. it looked like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely did. Um, so uh, Bill, now Billy and um, Costello, and I'm, I'm, I might say uh, Costigan instead of Costello from time to time because I have Costigan in all my notes for whenever I should say Costello. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the the names are a little too close, but and uh, I'm, so my I feel like if Gil we go Patrick. with actor names, that's okay. Like, yeah, yeah, sure. I usually true. don't like to do that. You got to have the separation of actor and character. But it almost feels appropriate here. Yeah. Oh, well, um, that's true. I mean, they are all star performances for sure. Yeah, um, and this is the first time they meet, and um, you know, Costello sort of teaches him a little bit of a lesson over how you should or should not deal with guys from Providence and what kind of a headache it's going to cause for him. And as a bit of a punishment, he just destroys his broken hand, which yeah. is really kind of brutal. Um, and then he also calls uh, Billy's uh, cousin a jerk-off, which, uh, you know, just sort of reinforces <laughs> and, and, what and we a, discussed earlier. <laughs> a few, uh, yeah, and a few uh, certain terms for Italian people that uh, oh, yes. further, oh, yes. uh, further the... Uh, the racial tensions in this movie. <laughs> oh yes. Ugh. 
So uh, this is also the scene where we meet, well, I guess don't really meet because we don't know her name, but we see Costello's girlfriend, and uh, she has red hair, just like the girl from the beginning of the movie, which is why I always sort of wondered if uh, that was a continuity. But, you know, he could have called better attention to it, I think. That would have never occurred to me, and it's probably just a coincidence, but... That's kind of a weird, interesting little Easter egg. If it if it were uh, if it were the case, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, we get a, a really, I think, a kind of a funny scene with Costello and French. Their scenes together are just phenomenal. Um, and Costello is singing a song like a real crazy oh, person. Yeah. <laughs> and then he is uh, holding a severed hand while quoting John Lennon. And I just have, this is not a dull performance. <laughs> it isn't. And I mean, it's not a good performance either. Okay, yeah. So that's, yeah, this is where we pause and we have to talk about Jack Nicholson. Um, Sarah, what are your thoughts? <laughs> he is fine. I think I don't I don't have a lot of feelings I feel it like I I just I was like along for this ride along for the story and I didn't really pause too much about over anybody in particular I wasn't particularly blown away by anybody and so like Mm -hmm. Jack Nicholson I guess then at best and or worst however you want to see it is like he's fine and I didn't really think too hard about what he was doing like yeah I I mean I think prime jack nicholson it was like you know 40 years ago or something like that yeah, uh, yeah. and that's just been the way it is for forever so aaron, i wasn't really think? expecting anything else sure sure uh you aaron thought it was a bad performance well i think it's just missing something and there's a little bit too much of nicholson in it he so i mean i think that the performance in the departed is it's almost the same as his performance as the joker you have sort of some of these same tics, this strange outpouring of this Irish singing and the, you know, kind of the ability of, of being serious, but then being over the top and then being serious again. The problem is with this character, I just, it, it didn't, I never felt the threatening nature that I feel it needed. Unlike something like the Joker, where you kind of never, you're a little always on you're a little always uneasy when the Joker is doing his thing because you never really know what exactly he's going to do. He's a little bit more unpredictable. Mm-hmm. So it's just sort of missing this. It's like, it's definitely a Nicholson performance uh, and he brings a lot to it, which I think is, it's never a, really a bad thing, but in comparison to what he's done in other characters that are sort of similar to this, it's just missing that that little bit of, of edginess to it, which makes it feel more like a performance to me and less and less as a character that we can really sink into. Yeah. I think yeah, that's I hear you. fair. Like uh I would agree I would agree with that actually. because uh, I, I think we you know, putting it in those terms, um all of the people in this movie tend to be people that i think have a lot of um i mean they're all stars they're like they're stars they are what you think of when you think of movie stars like leo Mm -hmm. matt damon mark Wahlberg, whatever they don't seem like real people and Mm -hmm. so anytime i can kind of forget that they're them (laughs) like 
which which was the, actually the case with Matt Damon and Leo in this movie, and even Mark Wahlberg, like utilized you know well as he was. Um, and then Jack Nicholson, I was like, there's Jack Nicholson being some Jack Nicholson, saying some stuff. Um, and it was never like, oh, you're playing a role. It was just kind of like an actor doing what he always does, exuding the sort of personality that I've known him to have for like the last decade or two. Yeah, sure. I think that like sort of what menace he exudes is because he's just like completely out of control and not because he like gives much thought to anything or is sort of cunning as a villain or anything like that. It's just like in some ways he's a little bit like the Donald Trump of movie villains where it's like (laughs) he's scary because he just cannot control himself and you don't know what he's going to do and he is very capable of destroying your life because he doesn't know any better versus like actually being sort of like an evil type villain who sort of thinks through how to destroy his, you know, enemies and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, I I, I hear you guys, but I do think that he brings some entertainment to the movie in some of these really kind of wild scenes. And and watching it, I just, I can't always help but think, like, how much direction was anybody able to give him? Because obviously he's sort of notorious for just doing what he wants. And um, in some cases it works out, I think, really well. In other cases, it's just a little ridiculous. But, um, what? Yeah, go going ahead. back to sort of the the thoughts of the of the Oscars, it's kind of surprising that he wasn't nominated and yeah. Wahlberg. Yeah, was. I agree. Um, yeah. and I wonder why it was at the time. I don't know if people maybe were uh, at the time kind of recognizing this as a totally over the over the top performance. Um, but I think with his stature and I. I'm, I don't know, maybe people didn't realize that he wasn't going to be making movies uh, after this very much. Uh, and maybe if that were the case, they would have. Let's see, right. I'm pulling up his IMDb. Was he, okay, so he was in the bucket list the next year. Of course. And then he did, <laughs> uh, do you remember that movie, How Do You Know, the James A. Brooks <laughs> movie? Yes. He was in that a few years later as Reese Witherspoon's dad. But besides that, like this is pretty much his last the last kind of role that he would be remembered for um, when we That's look back crazy. at his career, you know, yeah, yeah. 10 years, it 10 years, 10 years I mean, later. Now. And he was at this point, he wasn't really working much. I'm looking like this is 2006. His movies that he made before this, he made some, something's got to give anger management in 2003. And those were the, the movies before this. And then about Schmidt in 2002. So, I mean, if you look at about Schmidt and something's got to give like, he was at the top of his game really still then. Um, And then he didn't, he went away for three years, came back for the departed. And then that was pretty much it. Uh, So a few scenes later, we find out that Colin got promoted and he's running a smaller unit that's sort of tasked with finding out um, if anyone is working for Costello within the state troopers. Um, Anthony Anderson and James Badgedale pop up again to remind us all they're still here. We have a nice scene with uh, this guy, David O'Hara, who's an actor I'm not super familiar with, but he plays Fitzy. Um, And he is, uh, he gets arrested and uh, Matt Damon slash Colin goes in pretending to be his lawyer and he actually sort of extracts incriminating evidence against Costello. And I really like the actor's voice here and the way he says bye to his mom on the phone. (laughs) Oh, he's a, he's, he's a real life Irish. Yeah. Oh, for sure. He's like, bye. (laughs) Well, he's, he's actually Scottish, I guess. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing. What's the difference? 
when you're facing a loaded gun. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, all of our Scotland fans are so mad right now. I know. Oh my gosh. Sorry, Scotland. We're in, we we're in trouble. <laughs> um, so uh, we have a scene with Colin and Madeline where she tries to make him feel okay about his uh, erectile dysfunction. <laughs> God, I just want to spend like twenty minutes talking about Madeline. <laughs> do you want it? Let's do this now. We have. I yeah, mean, because the, sure. the next scene God. here is is her first with Billy Costigan as a patient. And, oh boy! Uh, yeah. So why don't you? Why don't we talk about Madeline, Sarah? Go ahead. <laughs> I mean, at this point, when I first saw this movie, I was two weeks into my like first gender and women's study class, so I didn't know you guys. I didn't understand. So you were you were not yet a woman. Oh. <laughs> Because I was like, I, I was not, I didn't remember her at all, which isn't surprising because she doesn't uh, do anything basically at all. Um, but I was just like, oh my God, if there was ever a cardboard cutout of a lady just like slapped on the screen to be like, look, that's what one looks like. You <laughs> well, see I it? love that they let you know that too by casting Fair Farmiga, who is now, you know, a very notable and, and good actress, but mm-hmm. like, did anybody know who she was in 2006? Yeah. Like, I don't think so. So it's kind of an e- interesting. Um, I guess she was in the Manchurian Candidate. I don't know if that was a big role, but you know when when you put her against all of these other actors who are yeah. instantly recognizable, and you're kind of going to naturally gravitate to them anyway. Uh, yeah, it's that's just could almost, sort of interesting. I think. Like you could almost imagine if they were recasting it and they wanted more star power that that would be like the the Sandra right. Bullock role or like the Jennifer Lawrence role where like even though she's there for five minutes you're like ooh like let's give her a supporting actress nod. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she just she just couldn't make less sense like anything and everything that she does I'm like I this is not a thing that like a human would do like. Mm. A, a, a person that went to Harvard's like psychiatry school, supposedly, if that's what we're to assume, with her Harvard T-shirt and her fancy drinks. at night. Um, <laughs> she, she just like hands out a prescription to somebody because he yelled at her like that. That she just Wanted. gives Billy. He's like, I want some, and she's like. Well, he yelled at me, so I guess I will. Yeah. Well, and she transfers it to someone else, and then they, they're, like, hanging out later, and at some point she even makes a reference, like, oh, this isn't inappropriate. You're not my patient. I'm like, I am pretty sure that it is actually very inappropriate yeah. for you to see a former patient in this context. Like, I don't think that that's a great idea. You are not good at your job. Also, why do you guys even have a relationship? Why is he telling you anything at all you have no connection or chemistry i'm getting very long-winded i'm sorry (laughs) i I mean if if you back it up to when she first is talking with costigan like before like he even tells her anything she's like offering up all this personal information to him it's like they don't do that they don't do that (laughs) and i like how they try to explain it away um when he's after he leaves by her saying that, like, why is it always the last patient of the day that's like, which trouble? It's like, oh, she must have been fantastic. The <laughs> yeah. Like the most perfect psychologist, yeah. psychiatrist. But that last Every- patient, you're always off the. I mean, she makes uh, what's her name in The Sopranos look good as oh, as God. you know as yeah. as a professional. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just oh god, I was so frustrated, and then. 
and there's and it's just that's the it's the thing that Hollywood likes to do. There's there is no one else, so she is supposed to be all things, and she's just nothing. She's just there's nothing there. Yeah, the movie has way too much of this character, um, yeah. and sort of yeah. The next time we see them, they're just like having a cup of coffee together, and there's no reason for this. I mean, their their one interaction was so negative that she basically yeah. gave him prescription medication to get rid of him forever. And then right. let's meet up and have some coffee. And, and it was also like like the whole, that whole like session, it was like tinged with this, you know, if he's playing up his own role to like be playing the part, if we're supposed to assume that that's what he's doing on her end, all she sees is this potentially violent person right. who's exhibiting like drug, you know, what does she call it? Like drug seeking behavior yes, yeah. or something like that. And, and it's was, probably you know, like informed enough about the area to assume that he might be dealing, and then it's just like, yeah, like let's let's get some coffee. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, and literally the only thing that she knows about him, she remarks that it's sort of weird that she's seeing him, somebody, a cadet who was kicked out of the academy. So he tried to be a cop, was so bad that he didn't even make it through the academy without fighting someone and going to jail. So that probably is not somebody who should be getting that kind of uh, powerful medication, but... We're all missing something, though, guys. We're we're overlooking a huge thing. What's this? Leo's eyes. (laughs) That's a good point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I'd give him all the Valium he wanted. Oh, sure. Why not? It's the last patient of the day. What's the difference? Uh, <laughs> so we go to uh, this uh, microprocessors thing. And I love microprocessors because like, it's the type of thing that I feel like would only uh, be a plot point in a 2006 movie. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um and uh so we have like all of our major characters uh except for madeline um part of this scene colin doesn't know this thing's happening we have captain ellerby alec baldwin i love this he uh I, oh go ahead so he says <laughs> i, I think down. you're gonna say my favorite fucking line in the whole movie right now is i hope so he <laughs> says uh i'm gonna have a smoke you want to smoke you want to smoke you're a fitness freak go fuck yourself <laughs> <laughs> i scream i like <laughs> scream laughed at that it was like my favorite thing because he does it so and he has this little witch cackle at the end of it like (laughs) and he just walks away like it all happens in like three seconds because he's talking so fast and i was like this is oscar right there it was great great i love alec baldwin in this movie he uh he is so funny um and then he also loves a patriot act which which seems like so in character i I kind (laughs) of like that too 2006 yeah um but the nsa uh, we love them yeah exactly this is pre-snowden okay so joseph gordon levitt (laughs) wasn't on hand to save us all yet colin texts frank on his flip phone oh yeah with his hand in his pocket one-handed uh i thought that was pretty impressive yeah Yeah. do you think he learned that at the academy on the keys so he probably could have figured it out right? well it's just like on that phone it appears as if like texting is not like a really simple process you have to go right. through like a bunch of screens and well, know exactly which number choice they are and... yeah do you do you think he learned that at the academy or did he learn that as a manner of uh working on the streets i think they did this a when he was a kid at costigan's oh. garage on on the the road on the rotator phone <laughs> yeah on the road 
comes. <laughs> um, but yeah, no misspellings, nothing. It was it was really well done, and uh, of course Billy is is sort of doing the same thing um, in this uh, this sting with their, this deal. Oh I guess, yeah, with now the, we get the Asians. Yes, with the Chinese, and this sort of reinforces my Donald Trump comparison earlier because he he is uh, yelling at the China people about. Um, the, uh, in this country, we do this, and in this country, we do that, and, um, at one point, he does, says this, like, slur, which, um, I mean, it's fairly obviously a slur, although I didn't know at the time what it meant. He says, no ticky, no laundry. Yeah, I was like, yeah, like, again, it was one of those moments where I was like, we get it. Yeah, yeah, like, right, like, we got like, the idea. But, right. So I I looked that up and obviously it's a slur like I it, that's contextual, um, but it's listed on Urban Dictionary as a Northern New York catchphrase rebuking a one night stand in favor of monogamy. That's hmm. weird. Yes, okay. and so so the quote <laughs> because I have to um, it says, "Dude, so what's the deal with Mrs. X? You guys still playing just the tip?" Nah, man. Okay. <laughs> nah, nah, man. She's all about the friends with benefits thing. But the way I see it, no ticky, no laundry. Okay. So that's Urban Dictionary. So do you well, think that the screenwriters were just like, stuff. let's, let's just know, maybe write the most generic, weird, like, obviously racist thing? <laughs> no matter what it is. I have no idea. I mean, they could have done, they could have obviously went somewhere else, you know, to, to mock a Chinese person, but uh, okay. Yeah, whatever. Maybe uh, Jack Nicholson wanted to play just the tip with this guy <laughs> and his machine gun. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they escape, uh, obviously. I, I will say I'm surprised there were no samurai swords in this scene. Oh my gosh, you totally could see that, right? Yeah. Um, For all of the uh, delicate nuance of the film's handling with the... Uh... <laughs> race relations <laughs> race relations yeah oh my um so uh they escape through uh on boats rather than through their cars and the whole thing's blown and alec baldwin blows a gasket which is really funny at some some dude um you only Matt- had two hours man <laughs> not enough time to put cameras in the back come on i know <laughs> yeah poor dude i mean jesus <laughs> Uh, Madeline uh, moves in with Colin, which is a big move, and she answers the phone for the first time at her apartment, and it's uh, Costello with a voice box, which... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this was kind of confusing. Yeah, that was kind of funny. Um, and uh, so she she gives uh, the phone to Colin. Uh, Costello calls her Little Miss Thing. Yeah. <laughs> and then he says, I think there might be a cop in our crew. And one of my favorite lines of the movie, which I don't know what has to do with anything, but he says, do you think we're in the fucking haberdashery business? <laughs> That's a good one. We can also uh, gloss over the very important uh, sign of, of the relationship in this love triangle uh, of this picture of young Vera Farmiga on oh. a bicycle. Yes. Yeah, Colin doesn't want anything to do with it. He he takes guys, all of her stuff and puts it in a closet. <laughs> but guys, don't worry. Don't worry. When she inexplicably lets Billy into her apartment that she still has for some reason later, Ugh, that he is... sees the picture and he raises it up higher on the he wall. He likes it. Because <laughs> he sees her as a person. 
do you get it? That's big. <laughs> That's <subtle>. good. Yeah. <laughs> um, we see Costello at the opera. He's ba- bathed in red light, in case you didn't know that he was evil. Um, and he's got two girlfriends now. They're having some fun with cocaine. Um, yeah, this is one of those cut-ins where, similar to earlier in the montage, like it's just confusing where this... I mean, it's, it's an interesting device, but like... Is this later? Is this somebody else? Like, it doesn't really even look like the same person. I don't know. Uh, it's just weird. The uh, next scene is uh, Costigan shows up and French tells him that everyone needs to write down their information, their bank account, social security number, etc. And uh, Fitzy spells the word citizens wrong on his envelope and Costigan... With like six eyes. Yeah, yeah. And a... <laughs> Lots of eyes. I can't remember exactly, but it was pretty funny. Um, And Costigan X's it out, corrects it. Uh, This is the Chekhov's gun of this movie. Um, So that's kind of an interesting use of that sort of storytelling motif. But um, then we have the scene you mentioned, Sarah, where uh, Costigan and Madeline finally hook up. Anything to add besides picture gate? (laughs) Why do they bone down it? doesn't make sense well then she would let him in her house it doesn't make sense it's a really interesting musical cue in this scene yes yeah it like doesn't fit like i don't know it's like not a romantic song i can't i can't remember what it is off the top of my head but comfortably numb yes comfortably numb yeah which like okay all right it's i don't know i mean i I don't want to pretend like they weren't trying to like set something up. Like they have little references to her saying that like things aren't like perfect with, with Sullivan and that, you know, you know, she has reservations and that's, that seems to be maybe why she's still hanging out in her old place where the lease isn't up. And like, it's not like they're not making some attempt to explain this. It's just that be that as it may, I'm like, it still makes no sense why she would tell any of that to this random dude that like, I, we, it is impossible to tell how often they even see each other. Well, this like, is the third time we see them together. They are friends and hang out, or is it just they had therapy, they got coffee, and then they banged? <laughs> like, I would say the whole movie, like, we never really understand, like, the passage of time. Yeah, that's exactly right. At one point, they make mention that it's been a year that Kassigan has been in the undercover. Uh, in, yeah, undercover in the gang, and it's like, Wow, it's been like 15 minutes of screen time. Yeah. Yeah, right. And I think that, you know, sort of to your point about Madeline, she kind of feels like a story now from a studio that like, oh, hey, like, did you forget that there's another sex that you can have in this movie? (laughs) And they were like, oh, yeah, like, okay, good idea. And then they sort of decided like, well, she needs to sort of have like this dual life between these two guys because everything else in the movie revolves around that and that they're never really able to reconcile it in a way that feels satisfying. Yeah. It makes sense in a screen play, I think, but it just doesn't work. I don't know if things are cut out or what, but yeah. (laughs) Um, So uh, my favorite scene in the movie is next. Colin and Ellerby are at the driving range and Colin just got a promotion. Again, he gets like promoted like eight times in this movie. Um, 
LRB explains half as often. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, explains why he's the right man for the job. He has an immaculate record, just like him. LRB asks about his wedding plans, which are coming along great. He says marriage is an important part of getting ahead. Most people know you're not a homo. Married <laughs> guys seem more stable. People see the ring and think at least someone can stand the son of a bitch. Ladies see the ring. They know that you must have some cash and that your cock must work. Uh, and then Doth That's all pro- we care about. Yeah, you know. Doth protests too much. Uh, but then Damon says it's working overtime. He says, yeah, which I don't, it's working. What does that mean? He says, yeah, it's working <laughs> it's overtime. A lot, you know? Because, like, he's hot. Uh, and then Ellerby responds, I'm very glad to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. <sighs> so funny. I love Alec yeah. Baldwin. Um, in this movie. <laughs> So then we have the scene at the adult theater, which is just Jack Nicholson is off his rocker. I mean, this is crazy. (laughs) (laughs) That definitely seems like a, hey, Marty, like, let me run with this one. (laughs) Well, it's, you know, Marty loves his bad behavior in in movie theater scenes. Oh, I know, I know, but just, oof. Yeah. <laughs> and uh so uh Costigan is there and he uh, chases Colin through some uh back alleys. Colin's... Yeah, through Boston Chinatown, which is yeah. like a block away from where most of the movie takes place. Right. I don't know if you've ever been to Boston, but uh, yeah. yeah, right off the common, which is prominent in in the movie. The right. the ha- the um the capital or the state building that uh that is pined over many times by Matt Damon with the, mm-hmm. the golden roof is yeah, Beacon Hill. Yeah. Beacon Hill. It's just about two blocks from where, where these uh, very exotic Chinatown scenes are with all the, the smoke and the we're a bunch of people everywhere for, you know, just out of the blue. But this chase scene is kind of weird. Um, yeah, I mean, but... it's, it certainly portends that, we're getting close to them colliding. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I do like the buildup in, in later scenes where that kind of comes to, to happen. But like, I think it's just the way it's cut. Like there's no way he wouldn't have been able to see who it was. Like there's no way he wouldn't have been able to tell that this was Matt Damon. I mean, he may not have recognized who it was, um, but I think there has to be, a, I, I shouldn't noted this better when I rewatched it, but um, there had to be a point later at some point where he he would have seen him and be been like, that's the guy. That's who it was. Because right. there are shots where you see him like 10 feet behind him. I know. I mean, yeah, but at, anyway. At the very least, I noted that he can at least tell that it's a white male. Right. So when they're looking for someone to head up this unit to find the rat, why don't they give it to Brown slash Anthony Anderson? <laughs> yeah so you got <laughs> you know i mean like if you're trying to rule out possible suspects right. r- ruled out or this lady mm-hmm. darlene who seems to be everywhere uh, what did she do she, she i don't know what she did she but copy girl and just tell sullivan good job is that her yeah. job she got well, hit I mean, on by yeah, sullivan early she, on someone there that he could stare at an ass yeah. yeah, really weirdly. Um, so yeah, that was. I agree. I, I do think the one thing I, I think the chase scene is is shot in a kind of a cool way. 
um, some of the, like, you know, there's a lot of color and, and it yeah. kind of feels lively. And there's the neat shot of him, uh, Costigan looking at the, uh, wind chimes and he can see sort of like movement in the background and his eyes are in there. And improbable, kind of... but interesting. Oh, it's super yeah. improbable, but <laughs> I just think it looks nice. <laughs> um, so whenever, I don't know when, when, when would be a good time, but, uh, I want to talk about the look of this film in general. Cause it surprised me. Why don't we me. do it now? Um, I was, I watched it and I, I just was trying to, you know, I have this like vague memory of how I viewed it when I first saw it. And then I'm watching it and I was like, Ooh, this, this movie is like, it's like shiny. It's like, yeah. it's like, it's like plastic. Like, I don't believe that they are in Boston at all. Like, yeah. I think that they are on some very beautiful sets. Like, yeah. On I a agree. Hollywood lot. Like nothing looks real. It all looks like a little toy like town and i'm like oh that's cute they even found like a little bridge to meet under and like oh, a little <laughs> chinatown that they set up so it looks just like a real chinatown like i i don't know i don't know if that's just me or if it was just the the glistening sheen of all the star power in the movie or just like something about how scorsese shot it's like i mean i guess i can't remember the most recent modern scorsese that i've seen because all the things that I've rewatched are his older stuff, mm-hmm. which all feels very real to me. Uh, and then this was just like sparkling. Well, he's done a lot of period stuff in the last yeah decade or so, but um, uh-huh. but yeah, I hear you about that. I think that like if you look at the film's marketing, it looks um, it has that sort of grimy feel that um, maybe would have felt a little bit more authentic, but maybe this film sort of. Uh, because you're dealing with like these officers who are like more plain closey, they feel like they're not, you know, uh, and you know, really kind of higher level criminals. Like it doesn't need that sort of gritty feel. Like these are like you know big deal cops and big deal criminals, and they're dealing in a, in a fancier type world instead of you know really kind of on the streets of New York, like lower level guys, like he dealt with earlier. In his oh career. yeah. No, I like, I don't want to say that. I, I think it's some sort of a mistake that it couldn't have no, been no, yeah, made, right. like, conscious decision. It was just that I wasn't sure if I knew why he decided to do it that way. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. No, I mean, you guys even noticed it as well. Or I, I did this time out? around. Yeah. I, I noticed it this time around also. It's an interesting, interesting note. Um, you're not wrong in saying that like it's not like it needs to have that and it also might even just be that that tends to be what movies like to do more now is like that seems more in vogue to do it like the grittier the better yeah and i also sort of wonder if scorsese's move from new york to boston for this movie like he doesn't know sort of like the area quite as well and you end up being sort of in this kind of like main uh, square that everybody knows about, like right. near the hill and near uh, the Boston Common and and in Chinatown, and everything else feels a little bit anonymous. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Although the Southeast scene with Aunt Kathy, I liked. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like. I like those. Um, the sassy. The, the I guess the, so there's two other ladies. I guess they don't got names. One of, them, one of them slams the door in someone's face. That's oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was the uh, the mother of uh, one of the guys who died. Yeah. That they, sort of set they, up the microprocessor the sting. And the guy that Kevin Corrigan had the, showed the picture of, too. Right. He was yes. Getting, uh, yeah. So what it am I complaining around. about? We're everywhere in this movie. <laughs> I take um, it all back. 
So we're starting to transition, I think, towards the ending, and um, we have a scene with Billy and uh, Frank, and um, he's kind of talking about the rat, and he says that you learn a lot by watching things eat, and he's kind of doing this weird sniffing thing, and he's running around, and and behind his back he's sniffing, and he's accusing him of something, because, well, the the one thing we didn't mention was that when uh, Costigan had to give up his bank account and social security information, he kind of just bolted, um, which was a little suspicious. <laughs> I love in movies where the person who's the double agent is kind of being called out on it or they're like there's someone sort of reaching to like kind of think that maybe they are you always the actor always gets like a look on their face and DiCaprio gets one here where it's like oh my god he, he figured it out oh my god he figured it out mm-hmm. like the most like serious like worried look on their face and it's like why would you react like that <laughs> yeah um and uh I think that he uh overall like you have these two guys who are basically undercover and i think that matt damon is a much more convincing liar than leonardo DiCaprio is but that's because he's the bad guy right yeah yeah no i mean you're, you're totally right but just i i could see why sullivan would get the shine over on all these cops i have a hard yeah. time believing that Cossigan would over these seasoned criminals totally agree um so uh bill says he needs to see queen in today um Colin has started to have the captain tailed, so they show up at this um, this high rise and they have a meeting on the roof. And uh, then Costello's men show up. Uh, Costigan gets away, and Queen and stays behind to buy him some time and gets <clears throat> tossed off the roof, which Man. was a big surprise. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a moment. Yeah, first time I saw that, it was just like whoa. And the way they the way they cut it, I think, is really well done. Um, you know, you sort of like hear like glass break, but you don't necessarily know. You don't see him get thrown out the window. So then Costin just kind of is walking along, and then splat, the body just like falls it right at his feet, and he's like splattered in blood. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Um, did, and not point, easy to see Martin Sheen, this happen to Martin Sheen, who's, yeah, you know, okay. President Bartlett. I mean, come on. This kind of part, again, uh, th- I think it overdoes um, a little bit of the double agent stuff here. Because so so um, Sullivan is on the phone with these other cops who are tailing uh, Queen and, and it's just, I don't know, it gets really kind of confusing using yeah it's like, a little over overbooked as a wrestling term uh, yeah <laughs> and, and and then there's like the point where like they they're asking like can we go can we can we go out can we see who this they they, they seem to not know what it was that fell or like who mm. it was that that fell off the roof even though they're like 25 feet away from it right <laughs> so i think that's just another sort of continuity cutting problem but well, uh, um, yeah yeah yeah, I don't know. It, it, that's a really great scene in terms of the surprise from the death, but like all of the plot around it is just like a mess. so heavy. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's like somebody gave Costigan the wrong address so that he's able to sort of <sighs> cover his tracks, and yeah. and then somebody else gets shot by the cops, and he's about to say something, but he dies like right um, in the nick of time, and yeah, and they like, and they and they bury this guy, but. They didn't obviously yeah. bury him well enough, or like, how did they know where he was? It's just like way too much. This is 
the point in the movie where all of that stuff is just way too much. Yeah, it's just like a runaway freight train. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we um, have Dignam, he quits um, because he thinks Colin has something to do with this. <laughs> there's a, I think it's in the scene, there's a quote. It's, it might be my favorite quote um, where Sullivan asks who Dignam, Dignam is and he says, I'm the guy who does this job. You must be the other guy. <laughs> That that's a good that's a singer that's my favorite singer from the movie. I, think. I feel like we probably didn't give Dignam enough credit over the course of this conversation because yeah. he uh, he's got some great lines and yeah. is just real stick up his ass type character. Who's um... I think my my other favorite line, which I think is in the next scene where um, to move this a little forward, Costigan uh, goes to some guy's house. I don't know why, but he he confronts him and is told about the the possibly. Costello being an F- FBI informant mm-hmm. and he shoots the guy in the knee and the guy <laughs> yells, I thought I was supposed to go in shock. I'm not in shock. <laughs> that was a little bit earlier actually, but yeah, oh, that was, that was really, earlier? that was really funny. Yeah. Um, we have I this. Lo- fun- I love all those little touches. I think what one thing that Scorsese really brings to this is all of the sort of mob confrontations all have just this little like tinge of like, a weird dark humor like that point there's another one where french and Co- and costigan are going to another i i don't know who most of these people are they probably have a place in the plot i don't know yeah i know uh, what you're talking about here I think. and he like th- he like throws like a toy <laughs> yeah costigan and hits him in the face it's just yeah. like he's yeah. got a little all cut those, there the rest of the movie <laughs> yeah all those little kind of touches the little dark humor the, uh... The beginning, one of the first times you see him in like that weird uh, montage prologue, you see him with his like Ray-Ban sunglasses and like a beret, which was, I was like, that's a cute look. I'm into it. Um, but he, they, they shoot, you know, whatever random two people and you just hear him go, she <laughs> felt funny. Oh yeah, he <laughs> felt funny. Like, I don't know. Like that's just another little flair of that, but they get it in pretty early on. So that's, yeah, you know, like lots that. of that stuff. That's I mean, that's just per- classic Scorsese, and yeah. and gives a film a lot of personality. But you have this really tense scene um, where Costigan uh, calls uh, Queenan's phone and Probably Colin answers. Definitely the best scene in the movie. I mean, you know, I like uh, Alec Baldwin well enough, but this is the, actually the best scene in the movie. And uh, it's just the silence on both ends, and it's it's crazy tense. Um, it's, the, it's the heat moment, kind of. Basically, yeah. In it's my, not in, in my a coffee shop. But, yeah, in sure. my opening statement, I, I sort of um, mentioned this. Is It's not, you know, you don't have the 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 wealth of of um, history between De Niro and Pacino as you do in that movie, but the moment where DiCaprio and uh, Damon sort of really kind of cross for the very first time, knowingly cross, mm-hmm. is it's a really, really tense uh, and really uh, interesting moment. Yeah. Um, then we have the uh, the death of Frank Costello. Um, there's a drug deal going down. Um, and the cops uh, know about it. There's a big fight. French just blows his own head off, which is yeah. classic, fr- classic French. Classic French. <laughs> <laughs> he's not going to... Well, it's kind of cool. He's not going to let somebody else kill him, you know? He's going to yeah. kill himself. And he just says, fuck it, and he kills himself. <laughs> I mean, in all fairness, he does say fuck it while he's, like, 
trapped in a car that's on fire surrounded that's by that's true police, so. yes that is true uh, but I, I still appreciated it that he's like i'm not gonna get burned to death this <laughs> i'm not a homo i'm not gonna burn in the sky i'm gonna kill myself what have you got your period <laughs> <laughs> i wish that was his last words yeah yeah that would have been great <laughs> Anyway. He's like talking to the flames. He's like, like "Hey, Phil, flames. remember that time when I asked you if you had your period?" <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so then Colin kills Frank, which is yeah. crazy. Um, he confronts him. He says, "You know, you're an FBI informant, and blah blah." You know, they kind of verbally spar over that, and then uh, uh, Frank pulls his gun, and Colin does first, and and pumps him full of lead. I yeah. I loved that because. It uh, like Matt Damon is like doing a pretty great job right there of looking, and this is a real compliment. I'm not I'm not poking fun at it, but it's looking exactly the way I look when I'm trying to kill like a spider. Uh, <laughs> of just like weird, wild terror, like panicking, which I thought was actually really interesting. That like this guy who's like supposed to be Mister Cool Cop is like looks like terrified when it's actually like time to fire a gun. He looks like he couldn't right. think of what else to do, and he's just pulling the trigger. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's good. Um, which I, I I thought that was great, especially in this scenario where you think that like, I mean, I guess the surprise could be part of it, but you wouldn't think that he would he would be so quite so like reactionary, so terrified to do such a uh, life changing. Make such a life changing decision, I guess. And I would say that um, that Costello uh, dies funny. <laughs> well, he gets his JC pose. <laughs> He's gonna what? get taken out with the trash. <laughs> get no, it? He, he, he gets. Like a... He gets. He gets the JC pose. Yeah. He gets yes. Across his right. own spread. And but... but he like sort of like uh, gets shot, and then like his blood just like explodes out of his mouth. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, that's kind of one thing that's weird. Like, I feel like he's, I, mean, I can't remember if he does, but we'll get into this more later. But it's bizarre that every, it's like almost every person in this movie, when they get shot, they get shot in the head. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you, that's not how you kill people. You don't like from 15 feet away, try to shoot them in the head. <laughs> but right. anyway. Um, Aaron, you know a lot about this. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, oh my God, you guys, I just got a text. <laughs> and <laughs> the call and the call oh, um yeah. so uh madeline is pregnant we find out it's a boy um she says this in in the most awkward madeline way possible to her fiance yeah um, it's, not, it's not too late to talk about that baby dick that's <laughs> how, how you do it it's how you go and that and that turns sullivan on to it's like oh yeah. really <laughs> um, so then, uh, Costigan mails some recordings of, uh, him and, or excuse me, of Colin and Costello, and she listens to them, um, which, uh, is also another, like, sort of 2006 moment, I think, because they're, like, on CD, and she's at this, like, big, like, hi-fi system in their yeah. uh, apartment. She has Instead to turn, of, like, ten different things on. Yeah, this would now be an email, and you would listen to a file. <laughs> um, so that kind of made me laugh. She's gigantic headphones, and he's in the shower, and and, uh, and comes out, and it's just like, oh, shit. And um, smoking gun. So then we have the big, the big scene. 
of the movie, which I have to say comes a little bit later than I remembered it coming. I always thought it was it was more of a climax, and and here it's it's I mean it's it's not. It's like the the second third last scene in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, Billy has planned to sort of get out of this. We we learned that oh, I, I glossed over the fact that they met. And uh, Billy saw the envelope, the citizen's envelope, on yes. Colin's desk. So he knows, and Colin knows that he knows, and so Colin erased his identity. And yes, so, because that's an easy thing to do. Yeah, just click, done. <laughs> There's a delete button. That's it. That's, that's what it's for. Just, I mean, imagine if someone hit that by accident. <laughs> um, Preposterous crazy but um so his plan to get out of this is he uh has colin meet him where queen and died he asked anthony anderson to come along because they're friends from way back when and mm-hmm. uh to also bring dignam which he fails at. yeah why didn't he just contact dignam i don't know i'm really not I thought sure it was like he was still is he still on leave i don't know how much time he, he's passed he Again, is but you probably... feel like he would be able to get in touch with him right i mean that's just Main contact. Adam. I don't know. I, yeah, it's kind of weird. Well, it's uh, kind of like he's from the time where he's supposed to be his main contact. He's not there, and it's it's right. so doing it. So maybe yeah. I'm I'm gonna throw it some some leeway and say okay. that I, I will believe that that is like well in the world because, movie, that's fine because we have a way bigger plot hole to talk about in a second. But um, so Dignam does not show up. They go down the elevator as soon as the door opens up. We get DiCaprio brains splattered all over the elf. Oh yeah, <laughs> and it's James Bagdale. He is a what? bad guy. What? Well, he, he shoots. You forget he also shoots Brown. And then he Which, shoots Brown. At first, you think you might. It, it really twists you up because at first you think, oh, maybe he's just shooting him to protect his guy. You know, his right. cop. Like he yeah. doesn't. It's just sort of a reflective thing. Mm-hmm. But right. then when when Brown comes in and sees what's happened, he he then shoots Brown. In the head again, for some reason. And then he tells Colin that I was also in with Costello, and we have to protect each other. And so Colin picks the gun up off the ground and shoots him in the head. Yeah. Just classic Colin Sullivan. My goodness. Um, That's how you solve problems. (laughs) Headshots. Um, The KD ratio is great. How in the world did James Badgedale know that they were going to be there that day? Can't tell you. I mean, <laughs> he posted it, it on Facebook. Just, just the idea he that it. he he also was undercover. Like, at some point, we would have had some indication that that would have been true, uh, or would have been the case. Like. But he's just like totally, he's not in the movie at all, you know? I know. Um, And it doesn't, it's like, it only kind of serves that one second of that twist. Um, So it's really not important, I guess, but. Yeah, I think, I think having a twist like that is weird when you're not actually given the opportunity to, not like you should be able to figure it out, but it's like. It's not, I don't know if it's as much of a twist if the person that's like basically not been in the movie is the one that did it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you can't just like introduce a character and be like, oh, this is crazy John. Like, he did it. It's like, well, I have no idea who that is. Like, Like, if Alec Baldwin showed up and did it, that could have been interesting. That would have been amazing. 
Yeah, right. that would have been because even if there wasn't, you know, a way for you to quote unquote like figure it out, at least it's like a character you are familiar. It's Madeline. What if Madeline did it? That would be or, or Dingham. Like that would have been crazy too, right? Like that would have been yeah. crazy. Like if he knew that Matt that Sullivan all along was was this guy in the the underworld, but and and that sort of made him made his appearance, you know. Uh, of it, how they were antagonistic towards each other could have like raised the stakes there a little bit. I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's just it does, a kind it of doesn't matter. Twist. Yeah. It's a it's a visceral moment that yeah exactly. Just, I mean, the first time you watch it is like it just. I remember the audience just everyone's just like, oh my, you know, gasping and screaming like crazy. And uh, and even if it doesn't make a ton of logical sense, I think it totally works for the movie. Yeah. Um, Colin is once again a hero, and and for some reason nobody is questioning why this guy uh, has such a body count building up around him. <laughs> well, um, I, I assumed he he leaves, and it makes it look like the three of these people. Yeah. Go- other but they all got shot in the head so that of course couldn't have happened um there had to have been somebody else there but i guess you could say it was anyone else in this mob or whatever you know sure um but it doesn't matter because he's recommending billy costigan for the medal of merit that's right which is i mean i'm sure really really great for him (laughs) how do you how do you read that do you read that as him sort of getting uh, like trying to touch back with his morality no, I don't. I mean, I, I think that just to cover himself, cover himself. Okay. I think it's just like a classic deflection of like, hey, don't don't worry about me. Look okay. at this guy. He did a great job. We should talk about him and what a hero he is and, and, That's and celebrate true. his life. You know? That's probably true. Yeah. Um, so uh, that we go to the funeral and Madeline is there and she's very upset. She does not want to talk to Colin. And then uh, the last scene, and he's walking, Colin's walking back into his apartment after getting some groceries. There's a dog that wants nothing to do with him, which kind of makes me laugh. I, I then... love that there's there's no, um, in that funeral scene, there's no indication of, like, Sullivan, like, being like, why are you at this dude, random dude's funeral? That Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. know. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, um, but uh, Dick... like weeping in the front row of this funeral. That seems right. a little odd. Yeah, she's got like prime real estate there. This person. <laughs> <laughs> um, Colin walks into his apartment, and uh, Digno yeah. is waiting there to shoot him in the head. A rat runs across the balcony, and uh, roll end credits. So I had the interesting experience of rewatching this movie completely completely misremembering this scene and the twist where I was like that because it was basically the only thing I remembered was like oh yeah Mark Wahlberg shoots Matt Damon at the end that's how that movie ends and then Uh like a rat and whatever like yes but in my brain like it had been 10 years and I was like yeah the twist is totally that Mark Wahlberg is like in in with Costello like he's one of the bad guys and he has been the whole time so I watched two and a half hours of the movie with just that and I'm like yeah that's the twist like I know that that is the twist and then the movie ended and I was like wait was there any evidence for that thing I've been thinking this whole time and there's not like where's the post-credit scene I just, 
<laughs> I was just like, what is, that is a bizarre experience because I could definitely, I guess you could say, tainted my rewatch because I was very certain that I was like, yeah. You're I'm waiting for something to happen that doesn't. Yep. Yeah. Um, now, I remember there was a lot of talk when this movie came out that there was going to be a Departed 2, um, which I guess would by default have, dead, have to focus exclusively on Dignum. Well, there were multiple Infernal Affairs, I know. Right, so. there was three Infernal Affairs, but I, from what I understand, yeah. I, th- I thought that, um, like, you know, sort of the plot sort of boiled down to condensing them into one movie. Oh, okay. Oh, I could, okay. I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but... Yeah, I have no idea. Um, that would have been interesting if if that came to be, but... Uh, it did not, and that's probably for the best, frankly. But um, the movie's over. Like, general impressions, Aaron? Yeah, I mean, it's... I don't like it as much as you do, John. Um, mm-hmm. I'm probably pretty close with Sarah on this. Um, it's a fun, entertaining two-and-a-half-hour movie that doesn't really feel that long. I there are, I guess there are points in the middle that kind of drag a little bit. And I kind of lose focus, but I think it moves really well. And is um, the cast, I think mostly all around is great. Um, That's sort of the best thing about it. Uh, And then again, when I sort of watched this, did a rewatch of the rewatch, kind of seeing a little bit more of those Scorsese flourishes, the interesting cameras and those cut in scenes and the little, the, the little bits of dark humor that are in it. Um, I probably liked it a little bit. I probably liked it most the third time I watched it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still don't, I, it's still not going to be a movie that I have in, in my sort of personal favorites or if I, I may never watch this movie again. I'm not sure. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't feel like I need to. That's fair, Sarah. Um, yeah, like I, I is definitely more entertaining than I remembered, but at the same time, like I, first time I saw it, I remember thinking when Scorsese won the Oscar for it, I was like, oh, well, at least he won for something that was, you know, that was so good in my mind, but I was like, at least he won for something that I thought was great. Uh, and then rewatching it, like it was in the following years, like that I watched Raging Bull and Taxi Driver. And then that's that's been the most recent Scorsese that I've seen. And then to go back to this and be like, oh my God, you got Academy, you done fucked up. Like, this is not the movie that needed that award. Like, I know it was an apology, but like... It, <laughs> and it's, it's a just, lack of other options, sort of. Right, <laughs> and yeah, and a lack of other options. But like, it's not, it's not something that stands out as like some sort of seminal piece of 2000s art, especially since I think... I don't know. Did it come out in 05 or 06? Oh, so it was in 06. Yeah. Okay. So then in the next, I think it might be the, the next year or so that like several of my favorite movies of the 2000s come out. Like there. Well, yeah. The, the next year was there will be blood and no country. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And those like, I, no country for old men is still one of my favorite movies ever. Yeah. Like yeah. I love that movie. And then this is not something that holds up in the same way for me. I think that's perfectly fair also. Um, I would say about it that I think it's it's maybe like the ultimate cable movie, um, in that if I if I stumbled across it on TNT, I would probably be sucked in for at least you know an hour or so. What's what's the uh, what's the alternative language on that uh, TNT? Probably part? probably really <laughs> funny. Um, <laughs> I don't know off the top of my head. I, I 
that would be would have been fun to do uh, a podcast on a TNT cut of The Departed, but. Um, <laughs> But, you know, just sort of like uh, it's something that like I can always have on in the background if I'm like doing stuff and just kind of want some noise there. It's just like one of those movies. Um, I've seen it a dozen or more times uh, and I just never really get tired of it. I think it's really funny and um, just super entertaining. I don't think it has like really high art on its mind, but it does have a few scenes that really kind of hit um, with the phone call and I think some of the shots that Aaron talked about and stuff like that, which are, are really well done. And um, yeah, it's it's I wouldn't put it on par with a Goodfellas or a Taxi Driver either, but I think it's like a nice sort of second tier Scorsese yeah. and certainly like one of his more entertaining. Like Raging Bull is a movie that like obviously is really really well done, but that's not something that like I really yeah love to watch. And The Departed is a movie that I love to watch. So it's um, it's a comfort food movie. Exactly. It's Oreos. It's whatever. And, yeah. and it, I mean, that's fine. It's fun. I'm, I'm happy we're talking about it. I had a really fun time sort of diving into the minutiae with you guys. Um, and uh, if you enjoyed listening, let us know. You can tweet at us at The Sin Essential and tell us what you thought of the podcast. And uh, if you liked it, then hopefully we'll be doing more of these in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else you guys wanted to add before we go? We got some good stuff coming up in the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, All That Heaven Allows is our next film, and that's going to be led by Sarah. So mm-hmm. uh, if you want to say something yeah. quickly about that. Uh, sure. Uh, everybody should go watch it right now and then cry a lot. <laughs> and then we'll all talk about our feelings together in about a week. It's one of the that's best. Cool. One of my favorite movies. It's that's a very so good movie. Good. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. Um, so, uh, definitely check out that, uh, at the We're going to have a lot of great stuff and we've got some more super fun weeks planned for the rest of the fall. So, um, for Aaron and Sarah, I'm John and we thank you for listening and we'll talk to you again soon. Now oh, shit. Mark Wahlberg's here. Ah, uh, run. <laughs> <laughs> she was the rat all along. <laughs>